Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following article is from the June 2001 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry. 154 Masonic families founded a city of 170,000 in Brazil. Written by Walter J. Klein, 32nd degree. The entrance to Americana, a Brazilian city founded in 1865 by Confederate emigrants, most of them Freemasons, is marked by a large square encompasses monument with a descriptive plaque. Surviving Confederate soldiers returned home to families in misery, their livestock consumed, money worthless, railroads and factories destroyed, boats swept from their waters, clothes and food gone. When some of these who were Masons heard of a new South with undeveloped land for 22 cents an acre, its emperor, a brother master Mason, and better cotton than North Americas, they packed up and moved to Brazil. We know at least 154 families began the migration in 1865 from Texas, Alabama, and South Carolina to Brazil, and between 2,000 and 4,000 more moved to Brazil during the next 10 years. One was Colonel William H. Norris, who had a small fortune in gold buried in his Perry County, Alabama yard. A Union officer stopped his men from digging it up after Norris's wife shook the officer's hand masonically. With that gold, Colonel Norris bought 500 acres and established an infant community. That spot in Brazil was to become the largest Confederate settlement in South America. It is near Santa Barbara, southeast of the city of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Norris and his brethren founded George Washington Lodge in their little village that was soon named Americana by their neighbors. What began this exodus as a Masonic event in history? Actually, a Mason named Robert W. Lewis of Virginia wrote Robert E. Lee asking his opinion about Confederates leaving the country. Lee answered, the South requires the presence of her sons to sustain and restore her. Then he wrote, in answer to your question as to what portion I hold in the order of Masons, I have to reply that I am not a Mason and have never belonged to the society. Lewis and other Masons knew Freemasonry was alive and well in Brazil, living hand in glove with its Protestant community, especially Presbyterians. Encouragement came from Brother Charles Nathan, a member of the Brazilian Immigration Society, who helped arrange passage for Southerners via New Orleans. Nathan was a British merchant in Rio de Janeiro who had lived in New Orleans, Louisiana. He apparently worked with Reverend Ballard S. Bunn, who led migrants to another colony near Americana. The most encouragement, though, came from Brother Tavares Bastos, founder of the Immigration Society and confidant of the Emperor of Brazil, whose father, Dom Pedro I, was Grand Master. His close friend was Reverend James Cooley Fletcher, Presbyterian minister and first secretary of the U.S. Legation in Brazil. Together, they had the ears of intellectuals, educators, statesmen, liberals, and the emperor himself. They actively promoted close United States-Brazil relations, including migration and agricultural industrial envelopment. When Confederate Masons communicated their distress, these leaders were ready to help. Joaquin Maria Saldana Marinho was a friend of Tavares Bastos. He was a co-editor of a liberal Rio newspaper. 
Marinho was grandmaster of the Grand Orient do Brasil ao Valle dos Benedictinos, the emperor's branch of Freemasonry. Happily, he was also president of Sao Paulo, the province where Americana was born and flourished. Dr. Russell McCord was a migrant from Alabama who settled in the town of McKay. Saldana Marinho signed McCord's Masonic certificates for the years 1872, 1874, 1875, and 1879. These documents comprised the best records of the U.S. Confederate Masonic-Brazilian Partnership. Scottish Rite Masons will be particularly attracted to Saldana Marinho because of his activity in the mid-1860s in the cause of separation of church and state. Dr. McCord's Masonic documents are historic in another way. A second signer was the eminent Jose Maria da Silva Paranos, best known as the Vicon de, do Rio Branco. He was Grand Master of the Grand Orient do Brasil, and he was the author of the first emancipation legislation that led, 17 years later, to abolition of slavery in his nation. What was life like for former Southerners in Portuguese-speaking Brazil? In fact, half the Confederate North Americans quit and went home within 10 years. But the rest stuck it out nobly and left a heritage that lives today, albeit as a small minority among the 170,000 citizens of Americana. Patrick Fields of Charlotte, North Carolina, has ancestors who fought in both the Revolution and Confederacy. His father and grandfather were Freemasons. He taught several weeks in the Sao Paulo region last summer and made it his business to investigate Americana. There he found a burgeoning metropolis populated mostly by people of Italian heritage spilling over from South America's largest city, Sao Paulo. He noted, the people in Americana are like those all over Brazil. All colors, all religions, all occupations, all heritages. Masonic lodges abound in Brazil. Masonic, like Confederate, activity surfaces in Americana at their Confederate museum, cemetery, and frequent festivals which Fields videotaped extensively. He said Masons and other Confederates were never locked into Americana or other settlements. They spread all over Brazil, so you can't say today's people of Americana are descended from Confederate Masons. What did these remarkable Masons bring to Brazil? Well, watermelons for one thing. Grown from their American seed, watermelons became so popular that up to 100 railroad carloads a day were shipped from Americana by the late 1800s. The Confederate Masonic families had no trouble raising meat, vegetables, and fruit to feed their families. Their dishes included cornbread, spoonbread, egg bread, biscuits, and burgoo stew, a savory mixture of several kinds of meat and vegetables usually served at political rallies and community occasions. Black-eyed peas, potatoes, and southern fried chicken live on in Brazil. Brazilian desserts include such southern staples as vinegar pie, ambrosia, custard, fruit pies, chess pie, and ginger cake. The immigrants introduced the plow and improved farming methods that increased cotton, coffee, and sugarcane crop yields nationwide. Brazil hired North Americans as advisors and plantation administrators. These confederados, as they were called, got much in return. The Halls, Thatchers, Gastones, and other confederados netted a 100% return on their first two-year cotton planting. They were able to build their old South mansions again, though in Brazil, and they regained pride in their heritage. They felt they were Americans deep inside. Their undying respect for Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee simply added to their fraternal bonds to George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, James Monroe, Andrew Jackson, and the spirit of freedom of the United States of America. The validity of this information can be proved by reading two books, The Confederados, published by the University of Alabama Press, and The Lost Colony of the Confederacy, published by the University Press of Mississippi. Or better still, 
Take the next plane to Sao Paulo and visit Americana. The following article is from the February 1997 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. The Guthrie, Oklahoma Scottish Rite Temple by Robert Awenius, 32nd degree. In 1918, the citizens of the city of Guthrie in central Oklahoma sold a 10-acre plot to the Scottish Rite Building Association, and between 1921 and 1929, a magnificent temple in classic Greek style was erected. It has a width of 260 feet, a depth of 470 feet, with the front graced by 16 huge Indiana limestone columns sweeping 70 feet towards the sky. Here in the hinterland of the nation, Masons have built what is now considered by many as the largest Masonic temple in the world, originally erected at a cost of $2 million. An architect designed the temple's exterior, but in an unusual arrangement, the interior design was worked but was done by a husband-wife team under a commission mandating that the rooms recognize ancient peoples and cultures. In this process, the building became a storybook of architectural history. Watercolor sketches were made of each room of the temple, where rugs were to be placed, sketches were sent to County Donegal, Ireland, their wool for floor coverings was hand-dyed to match exactly the color tones in the sketches. The largest carpet, 30 foot by 45 foot in the crystal room, required the use of two railroad flat cars in delivery. During construction, the temple's unique design required the skills of craftsmen brought from Italy and other countries. Also, material and furnishings were imported from Germany, Czechoslovakia, and Italy. Just to name the rooms in the temple is to underscore the breadth of civilization and culture embodied in the temple. The classic atrium, the Pompeian room, the Assyrian room, the Italian lounge, and the Egyptian room. Also, there are color-themed areas such as the rose and blue rooms. Much of the temple's artwork could not be duplicated today. Further, many of the skills used to decorate the building have disappeared. The Blue Room, for instance, has three stained glass windows made by an Italian artist who perfected a secret process whereby flesh tones are perfectly rendered. In the main auditorium, the balcony rests upon an arch, which at the time of construction, and for many years thereafter, was the largest unsupported cement arch in the world. Appraisal of the temple today is $65 million. Masons in Oklahoma are rightly proud of their temple in Guthrie and call it one of the wonders of the modern world. The following article is from the September 1997 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. It is written by Mark Fravel Jr., 33rd degree, and is titled A Walk Through History at Fort Monroe. A tour of Fort Monroe, Virginia is a visit to an outdoor museum that enables you to reflect on the history of our nation and the many Masons who helped shape it. Fort Monroe has witnessed our struggle to identify what America is. It is also the largest stone fort ever built in the United States. But 175 years ago, the mission of Fort Monroe was very different from what it is today. During the War of 1812, British forces sailed up the Chesapeake Bay and attacked and burned the city of Washington and the president's house. This incident and the realization of how vulnerable our capital was to enemy attack demonstrated that the United States needed to develop a series of defenses along the East Coast. One major link in this defense was a fort to be built at the entrance of the Chesapeake Bay where present-day Fort Monroe now stands. 
named for President and brother James Monroe, a member of Williamsburg Lodge No. 6, the fort, begun in 1819, was completed in 1834. The continuous connection between Fort Monroe and some of our nation's most outstanding citizens, many of them Freemasons, reveals a fascinating story of American history. One young soldier early to be assigned to Fort Monroe was Edgar Allan Poe, who arrived there on December 15, 1828. However, Poe had decided that he wanted out of the army and persuaded his stepfather to pay a substitute to finish his term of enlistment. Poe was discharged at Fort Monroe on April 15, 1829. Some 20 years later, he would return to the Hygieia Hotel at Old Point Comfort, next to Fort Monroe, as a famous poet to recite his work on the veranda. On May 7, 1831, a young lieutenant of engineers reported at Fort Monroe for a second assignment. Robert E. Lee's attention was directed to the outworks and approaches which had not yet been finished. During this period, Lee and his wife had their first child, George Washington Custis Lee, who was born at the fort. Three of Lee's friends stationed there with him later became Civil War generals, Joseph E. Johnson, Benjamin Huger, and James Barnes. Three years later, the young Robert E. Lee was transferred to Washington, D.C. The first Masonic Lodge at Fort Monroe was established prior to Lee's arrival. Lodge number 143 was recognized by the Grand Jurisdiction of Virginia on December 1, 1825. This lodge lasted only about one year. Later, Masons stationed at Fort Monroe attended various lodges in the village of Hampton, including St. Tammany, Lodge number 5. During the Civil War, Fort Monroe remained under Union control, and the second regiment to arrive was the 3rd Regiment of Massachusetts Volunteers. The unit had a number of Masons, and they requested a dispensation from the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts for a military lodge to be called Bay State Lodge No. 1. This unit was transferred in a few months, and their replacement, the New York Volunteers, was granted dispensation on June 1, 1861, for one year, which was later extended. This lodge eventually met in a casement of the fort. A casement is a chamber inside the fort designed to house 32-pounder cannons that would protect the entrance to Hampton Roads. The New York National Zouave Lodge under dispensation was disbanded when the unit returned to New York. Records reveal that during the occupation, four Union officers who were Masons led a detachment to the city of Hampton to secure the records of St. Tammany Lodge. Number five, warrants, records, and other Masonic property were sent to the Grand Lodge of Maryland for safekeeping. After the war, the property was returned to St. Tammany Lodge, number five, and the Grand Master of Freemasons in Maryland wrote that even when engaged on the battlefield in deadly strife of war, we do not forget our Masonic ties or the duties we owe to the brethren of a noble and time-honored order. Fort Monroe was one of the few forts in the South that remained under Union control. When the North decided to attack Norfolk, Virginia, President Abraham Lincoln went to Fort Monroe to review the Peninsula Campaign stalemate. He and his party landed at Old Point Comfort Wharf on May 7, 1862. Quarters number one, just inside the east gate of the fort, became Lincoln's command post for the attack. The attempt to capture Norfolk, the base of the dreaded ironclad Merrimack, would force the ship to draw up the James River and so free the Union Navy. On May 8, an attempt was made to land forces at Sewell's Point, but the Merrimack blocked the landing. The next day, the landing was attempted at Ocean View, and the Merrimack did not interfere. Union troops landed without resistance. Mayor William W. Land surrendered the city of Norfolk on May 10, 1862. 
As a result of this Union victory, the Confederates blew up the Merrimack, which allowed the Union fleet to sail up the James and York Rivers to support General McClellan's peninsula campaign against Richmond. Quarters number one, where Lincoln stayed, is the oldest residence at the fort, and once had as a visitor Masonic brother the Marquis de Lafayette, who received the Scottish Rite degrees in the Cernot Supreme Council of New York and was made 33rd degree and honorary grand commander of that body. After Lee's surrender at Appomattox, Virginia on April 19, 1865, CSA, President Jefferson Davis attempted to escape to Mississippi and reestablish the Confederate government in Texas. He was captured near Irwinville, Georgia on May 10th and was accused of plotting the death of Abraham Lincoln. Jefferson Davis was taken to Fort Monroe and imprisoned on May 22nd, 1865 in a quickly improvised cell in casemate number two and forcibly shackled with ankle irons. After four and a half months, Davis moved to Carroll Hall, a brick building which no longer stands. Mrs. Jefferson Davis worked tirelessly for her husband's freedom, and on May 13, 1867, Jefferson Davis was released on a bail bond for $100,000 signed by Horace Greeley, Commodore Vanderbilt, and other prominent citizens. In June 1951, the grandson of the Confederate president, Jefferson Hayes Davis, participated in the formal dedication of the Jefferson Davis Casemate Museum. On February 10, 1910, Army and Navy Lodge No. 306 was chartered and constituted and consecrated on March 11th under the Grand Lodge of Virginia. Grand Master Joseph Eggleston wrote, quote, That night, I paid a visit to Army and Navy Lodge in the casemate of Fort Monroe. We raised an Army captain who had received his first degree in California and his second in New York. The lodge has a civilian for master, a captain of artillery for senior warden, and another captain of artillery for senior deacon a lieutenant for secretary, and a non-commissioned officer for junior deacon. The candidate was raised by the Grand Master, assisted by three district deputy grandmasters. This lodge is not only doing good work, but is sending all over the world masons who will reflect credit on Virginia masonry. Army and Navy Lodge No. 306 no longer meets at Fort Monroe. Since its inception in 1949, the Casemate Museum has experienced rapid development and undergone numerous renovations. The Casemate Museum is accredited by the American Association of Museums and now includes 24 casemates with numerous exhibits and tours. The museum and all of the sites are within easy walking distance of each other. They include Lee's Quarters, Quarters No. 1, Seacoast Batteries, Old Point Comfort Lighthouse, and the Chamberlain Hotel. Fort Monroe is a National Historic Landmark and is presently the headquarters for the U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command. Today, visitors to Fort Monroe can witness and experience the impact many great Americans and Masons have had on the development of a notable fort and on the history of our nation. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.